0: Full cast audio presents Football Genius by Tim Green. It is time for us all to stand and cheer for the doer, the achiever the one who recognizes the challenges and does something about it. Vince Lombardi. Chapter One. Troy knew it was wrong. It was wrong to sneak out of the house after midnight It was wrong to take something that wasn't yours. And even though he wasn't that kind of kid, that night, he was doing both. Usually, on a night like that night, the cricket's end-of-summer song and the moths bumping against the window screen would put him to sleep. Usually, he didn't hear his mom turn off the TV in the living room. And usually, if he was up that late, the water groaning through the pipes while his mom ran her bath would finish him off. But that night, worry kept him awake, because he really wasn't the kind of kid to sneak out, and especially to take something that wasn't his. But if he did have to quietly slide open the screen, straddle the window, and drop to the ground with a thud, this was a good night to do it. Stars swirled around the big yellow moon, casting shadows perfect for hiding. Shorts and a t shirt were all he needed to stay warm. He didn't plan on having to run, but he laced his sneakers tight in case he did. His feet fell without a sound over the path through the pine trees. He could smell the tree's sticky sap, still warm from the hot September day. An owl hooted somewhere close. A rabbit screamed, then went quiet. The crickets stopped, and only the buzz of mosquitoes filled the air. Troy looked back at his house. It was nestled into the pines with no side or backyard. In front there was nothing more than a gritty patch of red clay. A tire hung from a limb at the edge of the patch, a target for footballs. The house was more like a cabin, a single-story box with a roof covered by fallen pine needles. Still, the weak orange glow from the nightlight in the bathroom window was like a friend calling him back away from the owl and the mosquitoes. But Troy had other friends, and he dodged through the pine trees into the darkness, finding his way to the railroad tracks almost without looking. He stood on the steel rail, balancing his sneakers, and looking down the long line toward the Pine Grove apartment complex where his friends lived. He tried to whistle, but it came out wrong. He tried again, and again, before giving up. Tate? he called, first soft, then louder. Tate! A whistle came back at him from the woods, high and clear, the way you'd call a dog. In the light of the moon, he watched two figures climb up the stony railway bed and start walking his way on the tracks. One of the figures was as thin as the rail she balanced on. Tate McGreer, a pretty girl with dark eyes, olive skin, and silky brown hair tied into a ponytail. The other was big and burly, a 12-year-old in the body of a high school kid. Nathan had a buzz cut like his dad, and he liked to laugh big belly laughs. He wasn't laughing now. His eyes were wide and shifting nervously, and he was puffing. Tate was the only one who stayed calm when they heard the low, sad sound of the coming train. The Midnight Express, Tate said, peering down the tracks. It wakes me up almost every night, Atlanta to Chicago, like clockwork. They all scrambled back down the bank into the rocky ditch, and Tate chewed her gum and nudged them both and asked, You got a penny? A penny? Troy said. Nathan dug into his pocket and came up with a nickel. That'll work, she said, taking it from him and scrambling back up the side of the railroad bed. The ground underneath them was rumbling now. The train's light glimmered and shook.